Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome uh, to an FS Club webinar on the topic of the future of gig working as a dynamic economic alternative. Um, and I'm delighted this afternoon to be joined by David Craddock, who's the founder and director of David Craddock Consultancy Services. Uh, my name is Ian Harris. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the uh, founder directors uh, of the Zien Group, um, and it is an absolute pleasure to introduce David to you. Uh, those of you who are regulars for ESOP Center webinars will recognize David's uh, face and voice and indeed mine, um, as I tend to host uh, David's ESOP Center uh, webinar program. Uh, but today, uh, David is presenting an FS Club webinar on a broader topic, um, uh, which is this business of the future of gig working. Now, David is uh, an independent consultant who specializes in employee share ownership and reward management. Um, and um, I, I always like to say this, he, he really is a, if not the leading recognized authority on the subject in the UK. He is the author of the Tolly's Guide uh, to Employee Share Schemes, a mighty uh, a tome for anybody who, who wants to know about these things uh, and other essential books and courses um, on, that, on, on that topic. Let me just move on our slides. Um, so you're having a word from me. Um, before uh, I move on to the agenda, I would just like to uh, give a big thank you to all of our FS Club sponsors. The FS Club covers uh, a wide range of uh, topics, as those of you who are regulars would know, uh, and it is uh, really because of the uh, generosity and interest of uh, this wide range of sponsors that we're able to cover such a, uh, a fascinating uh, scope. Um, of, uh, of subject matter and we are extremely grateful to all of these um, uh, 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 client sponsors uh, for their forbearance and for their sponsorship. Um, the ESOP Centre, which is the um, area of the FS Club with which David is most closely associated, um, has its own group of members and sponsors um, and this is they and we're also grateful um, to, uh, to, to this group um, for um, its involvement with uh, all things employee share ownership. Um, the agenda is fairly straightforward. Uh, Chairman's introduction, I'm hoping to keep it a bit less than five minutes um, so that David gets a full 20 um, or 20 minutes plus uh, for his keynote presentation. Uh, we find with this sort of topic uh, that the question and answer session uh, is a very important part of what we're doing. And uh, we would like you to send in uh, as many questions um, as, as, as you like. Please don't email us in the background or send us SMSs or all sorts of weird th things like that. Uh, we are sort of locked into the GoToWebinar system uh, for the course of this 45 minutes. So please send your questions through the GoToWebinar system and we will pick up um, all of those questions. We will try to address um, all of them, have David uh, uh, answer them. Uh, but um, uh, if we can't get through all of the questions, uh, David will uh, endeavor to get back to everybody. One question that very often comes in um, during David's um, uh, fascinating talks is, are there copies of the slides available? And the answer to that question is always yes. And I believe actually copies of David's slides are already up on the website. Uh, but uh, don't look there, uh, look here. Um, so without further ado, I would like to hand over to David Craddock, founder and director of David Craddock Consultancy Services. Um, uh, contact details um, uh, through uh, this slide, which you will be able to pick up from the website. Um, to talk to you about the future of gig working as a dynamic economic alternative. David. 
Right, well, thank you, Ian. And um, specifically, as always, I think very, very hard about the titles of my talks and to include that work, that word dynamic is, is purposeful. This is a dynamic subject. It is an energetic subject. It's a, it's a subject which is full of purpose and full of relevance and meaning for the future uh, of our economy in the UK and, and in the US where uh, gig working is rampant, but, but in all other countries as well. Um, this uh, webinar is really a follow-up from one I did for the uh, ESOP Centre and Financial Services Club back in September, 14th of September 21, uh, share schemes for non-employees and the gig economy. Uh, that, uh, that webinar drew such um, enormous support and interest that we decided to do this, this follow-up. So let me just lick, tell you a little bit about the landscape of this, of this talk. Um, it, it's really, um, uh, you know, you've, you've heard about the football match, which is a game in two halves. Well, this is a, this is a webinar in three one-thirds. Uh, the first third and the last third are primarily about economics, which I seek to understand and uh, seek to explain in the most understandable way possible. And then the middle third um, is related to legal contrast between um, UK and uh, US case law uh, and how that's working out in practice. Um, uh, all, all my webinars, I, I, uh, I, I fill the, the slides with lots of copious detail. The reason for that is so that uh, you can go back and read them at your leisure. And so you've got a sort of mini manual to refer to when you want to um, uh, refresh your, your memory on anything that I've said, or, or indeed identify points that, uh, that you want to address with me further by email or whatever form of correspondence you choose. Okay, so I want to give you money's worth. That's why I actually produce the slides in this way. So first of all, let's have a look at what the gig economy is. That there are numerous definitions. I've focused on these three um, uh, definitions, which seem to encompass uh, all aspects of of the definitional position which we're taking for purposes of this webinar. Always get your definitions in first is a is a good motto, and then we've got a foundation upon which to. Uh, to build our house of understanding, as it were. So, um, taken from a BBC uh, documentary in the autumn of last year, the gig economy is a labour market, we know that, it's involved with people, characterised by the prevalence of short-term or freelance working, as opposed to permanent jobs. It's a work that does not have the characteristics of employment, such as pension arrangements or holiday pay or, or sick pay, so it doesn't have the badges of employment. The, the second definition is taken from uh, a study which was conducted jointly by the Institute of Employment Studies and the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy of the British government. The gig economy involves exchange of labor for money between individuals or companies via digital platforms. And as we work through the presentation, one of the points I will be um, emphasizing at various junctures is that that digital platform, that access to technology, the advancement of technology, if you like, is one of the key factors that facilitates the, the ease with which a gig economy can operate within an advanced um, uh, Western uh, democratic economic system. So via digital platforms that actively facilitate, there's the word, matching between providers and customers on a short-term basis and payment by task basis. Okay, so essentially we're looking at a gig worker being paid by the particular task for which they contract to undertake rather than by a, a long-term job type remit. And then this, um, th this definition, which is taken from Gig Economy Statistics 2021 in industry report, the gig economy is a large and growing section of the working population where short-term flexible workers are paid on completion of tasks known as gigs instead of being paid for the amount of time they work. Okay, let's go to the next slide.
this is some key statistics on the gig economy in relation to the UK. So let's, let's pull out some of the, the key statistics. Um, halfway down the page, you'll see 48% of gig workers in the UK have a full-time job. 71.5% of gig workers, it makes up less than half their income. So the indication in the UK is that in the main, it's supplementing existing work. Though that's not always the case. That is not always the case. And there is a sizable proportion of the population of the UK, the working population of the UK, for whom their only type of work endeavor, work involvement is gig working. And I've identified that key statistic there. 31.5% of the UK's gig workers aged 16 to 24, while some 16 to 4% aged 25 to 34. So we're looking at primarily the, the, the precinct of, for a younger generation. Although that is not to say that, that gig workers are not found within, um, within every age group. Um, okay, let's go on to the next slide. So we've got here some key stats from um, the US in relation to the gig economy. And you can see there's, um, there's a markedly higher percentage of people involved in gig working. Um, the Gallup uh, Statista research established that around 36% of UK workers are part of the gig economy, either as a primary uh, job or as, uh, or as a secondary job. And it's in, that the indication from the US Bureau of Labor in the US is that there are 55 million uh, gig workers in the US in 2017. And the, 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 the most recent figures that I have access to, which was, which was from the most recent reliable figures, shall I put it that way, which, which I have um, access to, um, uh, go to the start of the pandemic, uh, where just before, the, just before the pandemic started, it was up to 57.3. So increasing at a, at a pretty strong rate. Uh, the gig economy index indicates around 40% of US workers generate 40% of their income from freelancing. Um, some choosing to opt for gig working lifestyle because it suits them. They want the freedom and, and, and the independence that it, uh, that it offers. Um, others because they're forced into gig working to supplement income from, uh, from regular work. And there started to emerge uh, some evidence, uh, which was alerted to me uh, last night, in fact, through, through an American TV program, which I was uh, watching overnight, that um, individuals uh, who have resisted the vaccine mandate and left their employment or... or, or have been forced to leave their employment are embracing the gig economy. So we expect uh, we expect an acceleration um, in uh, this trend in the U.S. And if the gig economy keeps growing at the rate at which it has done in recent years in the U.S., then more than 50% of the U.S. workforce will be participating in gig working by 2027. Um, a position that's reinforced uh, by the Intuit 2020 report on the future of gig working that indicates that more than 80% of large companies, that's a massive statistic, uh, plan to change their recruitment strategies to utilize more non-traditional methods. We are, in my belief, and, and it's my belief as a, uh, as, as a learned economist, though it's not a position shared by all economists, certainly not university-based economists, although I'd, I'd probably get support from the economists who write for the Financial Times and, and, and the Economist, that we are in a, a sea change with regard to the economic landscape of the Western world and and indeed the whole globe, for a whole multifarious array of factors, which could be the subject of another webinar. But let's carry on with this webinar for now, because it is a fascinating subject. Um, the next slide. Uh, we're looking broadly at three areas for the gig economy, freelancing, part-time working, and independent contracting. Okay, um, all three elements on the rise, uh, especially through 
uh, the, the the major gig employers. We, we, we're looking there at the delivery companies in the main, but other companies as well: Uber, uh, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, Postmates, Turo, Fiverr. Um, such that there's both an upward demand for gig uh, working jobs and also an upward supply for gig working jobs. So in economics, of course, we, we establish the price where uh, demand meets uh, supply and um, how that demand compares with supply will determine the, the price of uh, gig working labour, what the gig workers can charge and what their wealth potential is from working um, within the, the gig economy. However, for the gig workers, it's not just price, it's not just the money. Uh, the lifestyle factors are especially important and part of that sea change in the economic landscape um, is geared to that factor. The, the, the pandemic has focused the minds of, of, of many individuals within the Western economies. What do they want from their life? What, what's their work-life balance? Um, what, what, what are the priorities for them? Not just in terms of work, but in terms of time with family, pursuing hobbies, maybe achieving um, a, a lifelong ambition, whatever it might be, um, climbing a mountain or, or, or whatever. Well, the reality is, the reality is that um, for the companies to work with gig workers, this is a very, very important point indeed, to work with um, uh, gig workers is, is always a cost saving because uh, there's, there's no um, employment on cost which are associated with uh, employing um, the, the traditional type of, of employee. Um, very important point again, the rise of gig working is facilitated by advances in technology. It, it enables the market to um, reach the gig worker and the gig worker to reach the market. It enables that, that fusion to take place such that they strike a deal and the gig worker embarks upon the gig. And it gives that flexibility that, um, that is so much sought after by those who are seeking to change the lifestyle to entry into the gig economy. So the gig economy is, it, it, it is truly a free market system. It allows immediate response uh, by, by both the gig workers and by the company in terms of offering the work and receiving the work, pursuing the work and then finding outlets for work. And this contributes, of course, to reducing the distortions in the US labor market. Uh, it eliminates wasted time and energy. Um, there's, there's no real office politics involved, which in itself can be a wasted time and, and, and energy in a big company. Um, and of course, it reinforces what is already there in the US, this really high capacity for mobility of labor. Why don't we have that in Europe? For a whole host of reasons, um, not the least of which is, is language, um, uh, uh, fear of getting into difficult um, political hotspots throughout Europe. In, in the US, you've got the states primarily with the same dominant language of, of English, although of course Spanish is, is also a, a singularly important language for, for the US and spoken by, by, by a good proportion of the population, the Hispanics. Let's get on to the next slide. Um, factors for the for, for the win-win the in the US for workers, companies and, and government. So for the workers, especially the younger generation, which I've identified, um, preferring freelance working because of the flexibility and the, and the independence that it offers, choosing um, uh, where to work, when to work and for whom to work. For companies, it's the, uh, the flexible workforce. Um, it's having your labor as, as a variable cost, which actually has macro implications. The macro implications being that um, you can even out the, the employment levels in time of recession and, and move away from your, your boom bust type, type cycle. Uh, but it reduces at a micro level the cost of training and recruitment, avoiding to um, how, uh, uh, avoiding the, the cost of medical coverage, 
um, and indeed enabling the companies to replace the workforce when they like without um, uh, consequential implications for redundancy, either unfair dismissal or wrongful dismissal. For the US government, well, this is, this, this, this is fascinating. Um, constant and continual turnover of completed jobs, together with the, the impact of the velocity of circulation of money, uh, depending on how fast gig workers get paid. And the, the indications are that gig workers get paid um, in advance, uh, as a general rule of thumb, get paid in advance of um, other creditors. That's not always the case, uh, but the, the, uh, the trends indicate that that is the case. So, um, so with that uh, continual turnover of, of jobs, you've got the opportunity for increased tax revenues for the government in terms of volume, okay, even potentially with a lower tax rate, um, uh, provided the disciplines of tax collection are strong. So some very, very interesting factors which underpin the advantages for the, for the government, which might be why the government will, um, short, medium and long term, have a reluctance to tamper with the gig market. Um, the, the, in the US, the, the gig market economy it has um, a momentum, a very, very powerful momentum, as indicated by the statistics that are shared with you, at a level that, that cannot be halted through punitive taxes or regulations without sig significantly dislocating the US economy. So. Um, a prudent Congress and President would think very, very hard indeed before tampering with the gig economy. The effect of the pandemic has only been to accelerate the growth of the freelance market for some reasons I've already indicated, so that if, if current trends are allowed to develop unabated, then the gig economy will in time, and that would be within the next 10 years, overtake the traditional job market if the trajectory um, uh, can, can be uh, pr projected forward at the same pace as we've seen in the US over the last uh, historical 10 years. Okay, next slide please Ian, thank you. So, come on to some of the legal stuff now, this is the middle, middle third of the presentation. A little bit about the UK, then a little bit about the US, and then how they compare and contrast, to use a phrase that we uh, we often find in, um, in the old A-level exams from all those years ago, that's a long time ago for me, but there you go, maybe not so long for some of you. Um, when I think about it, not so long for me, I can still remember it very vividly. So the UK Supreme Court decision in, in Uber, we all know about Uber, the, um, the, the, the driver uh, taxi type service, Uber, BB and Oars versus Aslam and Oars. It's a very, very recent case, 2021, uh, went to the, to the UK Supreme Court and it's known as UK Supreme Court case five. So on the 19th of February, 21, the UK Supreme Court ruled that Uber drivers in the UK should be classified as workers, not as independent contractors. Um, thereby giving eligibility to various unemployed protections, notably minimum wage, paid annual leave, and, and whistleblowing protections from retaliation. Uh, the decision was influenced uh, very, very significantly by a 2011 decision, uh, Auto Cleanse Limited uh, v. Belcher, um, uh, United Kingdom Supreme Court case 41, um, under which it's it established that agreements must reflect reality. Uh, and if they don't, then reality will be superimposed upon the arrangement. Um, so the Supreme Court uh, in the UK over the Uber case, it made reference to the level of control that Uber exercised over its drivers. And that was a very, very significant factor indeed in coming to its decision. That said, come uh, one month later, 16th of March 21, Uber stated that it intended to violate the Supreme Court ruling by only paying drivers the minimum wage while driving and not when available for work. Let's go to the next slide. So here we're now, um, looking at the, uh, the, the, the lead case, a land, landmark case, again, uh, in the US, the California Supreme Decision 
uh, in uh, Dynamax versus Supreme Court, Superior Court of Los Angeles, uh, 2018, uh, where the judgment stated that a California must be presumed to be an employee unless the employer could prove various conditions. And again, we're really concerned about control. That's the that's the dominant factor. The key point to take away is that these conditions are worker-friendly uh, on the basis that they would make um, gig workers employees and therefore eligible for various benefits under Californian law. Okay. Uh, furthermore, in 2019, the following year, the California legislature, you know, in each state they have a sort of mini congress. That's what I mean by the California legislature. Uh, passed Assembly Bill 5, a law known as AB5, which codified the threefold test from the Dynamax case into California law. The major companies who contract with gig workers, though, chose to ignore AB5. Why? Because they don't want the costs of, um, of the, the employment costs uh, of actually employing people through formal contracts of employment. Let's go to the next slide. So on this um, next slide, uh, Ian, yes? Um, we come up against Proposition 22, and this, this was essentially a, a referendum type uh, arrangement um, uh, orchestrated by the, the app-based ride sharing and delivery companies, um, Uber again being a lead company there, but also Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart and Postmaster. They created a ballot, uh, and under uh, California Proposition 22, uh, it went far beyond simply asking for an exemption, and then that it's actually also provided for various benefits for gig workers, although short of the full set of employment benefits. So effectively, it was it was looking for a compromise position, yeah, looking for a compromise position. So that, for example, there's a guaranteed minimum earnings for periods when actively working, but not when waiting to do work, yeah. There's medical costs and some lost income for drivers uh, hurt uh, while driving or waiting, but not as great as it would be if it was medical benefits for an employee. So you see what I'm saying, how it's a sort of hybrid type arrangement. So Proposition 22 prevailed and the outcome of Proposition 22 um, is that AB5 can no longer prevent companies from classifying workers as independent contractors rather than employees. So the company's got their, their way. Um, how do the employees feel about this? Very, very, very mixed. Some, some want, it, want it to be employed. Some want it to be employed uh, simply because it gives them the employment benefits. Others, others bathe in the luxury of the flexibility and independence that, that gig working gives. And there we have a sort of a sort of um, dichotomy, uh, a, a challenge, if, if you like, to the gig market. Uh, what do they favour? Do they favour employment status? Or do they favour the flexibility and independence which comes from genuine gig worker status? Let's go to the next slide. Thank you, Ian. Um, so on this um, on this next side, what are the lessons learned from Proposition 22? Uh, well, the first is that the US can create a compromise. That's often so, um, uh, so, so much a characteristic within the nature of American politics. The founding fathers set up the, the Constitution to, to effect compromise. And in the spirit of, of, of the founding fathers, a compromise was obtained uh, through Proposition 22. The companies can still benefit through cost savings that derive from the workers being classified as independent contractors rather than employees, but not as big a cost savings as if they were employees. The gig workers given some additional benefits, although not as significant as if they were employed by the company. The original case was actually about the, the, the employee status for purposes of employee benefits, but you know, there is this other issue powerful, powerful issue indeed, uh, to recognize that gig workers do actually enjoy flexibility and independence. So th there's always this, this potential contradictory juxtaposition 
between do they want the employee benefits or do they want the flexibility and independence? A major, major issue uh, for the gig working. I'm going to show you how in a few moments it, it, it does get reconciled into two different groups of gig worker. Um, in practice, the companies are passing the additional costs arising from 22 onto their customers, the, the, the cost of the uh, employee benefits to the extent that they're that they're worth. Um, is there going to be a federal ABS introduced? Okay, uh, California very significant landmark decision. The, the the fifth biggest economy in the world, bigger than the UK, so very very significant indeed. Uh, but could there be a federal ABS to supplant, if you like, Proposition 22? Um, probably not, because uh, legislators are aware that there are so many ways in which it could be challenged constitutionally, uh, either by a state or by a company or, or, or by a, an active business group um, and, and the, the current political and judicial commentary indicates that there would be an absence of support uh, for a federal ABS at the US Supreme Court. The US federal Supreme Court would almost certainly be prepared to listen to that case. They can of course choose what they listen to and almost certainly they'd, that they'd feel obliged to listen to this case. Let's go to the next slide. Um, uh, current Summary. Um, just, about, I just want to emphasize the point about compromise, by because that, that's that's something where the UK economy might learn if ever there's a uh, a significant challenge to to gig working. Anyway, in the UK, the summary position is the uh, the outcome of the Uber case is to decide in favour of employment status for that type of worker. Whereas in the US, the effect of Proposition 22, uh, contra to Dynamax in Los Angeles and and the California uh, Law AB5. It's been to create this compromise, this hybrid status for the purposes of rights and benefits attaching to the role of the independent contractor. Um, although it's state level only, California is a supremely important state, the, the biggest wealth generator in the nation, so it has to be listened to, but it doesn't create legal precedent for, for the, 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 the UK. It creates some sort of legal precedent for the other states in the US, but not the UK. Remember that the gig worker also contains uh, freelancers, um, one-off gig workers who may operate with multiple customers. So Uber and the, the Dynamics cases are concerned with multiple cases for one customer. Uh, but we also have this other uh, uh, type of uh, gig worker where they have multiple cases with, um, with, with, with multiple companies. And, and that, that's the group which essentially favours the flexibility and the independence and are not really so bothered about the employee benefits. They have, that group tends to have the confidence that they will be able to generate their own benefits from their own income, running their own company and have confidence in so doing. The, the Uber type business is essentially a, a pseudo de facto employee type of arrangement. Very, very different indeed. And that's where you've got the two separate groups. Let's go to the next slide. We're nearly there. Um, entrepreneurial energy, capitalist narrative and freedom culture. This is the type of gig worker who does have multiple cases with uh, multiple companies that, that they, they're the one person one owned business enormous pride in solving their own problems managing their own business finances um, the question arises of course uh, do you bring um, uh, gig workers into an employee share scheme arrangement well if it's an uber type arrangement or a dynamex type arrangement maybe you do they are as i've called them de facto pseudo employees you know arose by under the name is still arose as shakespeare once famously uh, included in his um, in his literature um, but when it comes to that gig worker who's got multiple cases with multiple um, companies well his share scheme or her share scheme is the shares in their own company or the value of their own business whether it be a company or a, or a sole trader business 
And therefore, the best way to support them from a company is probably not to give them a share scheme, but to give them uh, a profit sharing type arrangement where they can invest in their own investments and prepare for their own future um, as they choose. The gig worker is supremely the entrepreneur, and that's what lies behind uh, employee share schemes and companies seeking to create the entrepreneurial instinct while still being a, in a company for an employee share scheme. Here we've got uh, gig workers who are pseudo employees. We can therefore have a sort of type of employee share scheme for them within the Uber type arrangement, but within the uh, the other category, the gig worker, the freelancing, the, the multiple cases with multiple companies, give them the profit share, let them invest themselves and create their own future. And then we come to this, this, this final slide where I've summarized the, the, the position. Uh, next slide, Ian, thank you. Um, uh, when will a share scheme be suitable for a gig worker? So this is like formalizing what I've just explained informally. Uh, do you have a customer-focused gig worker, uh, the captain of his or her own ship, multiple cases for multiple companies, is how I've summarized it, or do you have a supplier-focused gig worker, dependence on one supplier for work? That's the Uber type arrangement, the Lyft type arrangement, um, the, the, the Dunamex type arrangement. Um, much, much easier to introduce a, 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 an employee share scheme type lookalike for a supplier-focused gig worker, and a customer-focused gig worker will not necessarily be expected to, will expect to be part of an employee share scheme. But I emphasize the way to reward them and to tie them in with the company, if you want to do that, is profit sharing, a powerful, powerful cash profit sharing arrangement. So we go to the next slide as we move up to uh, um, uh, 4.30. Uh, I always try and be on the mark, Ian. Uh, my best wishes for your business initiative. If, if I can help you in any of these uh, subject areas that we advise on, employee share schemes, reward management, share valuation, management buyers, employee ownership trusts, including EOTs, or investment education, then please contact us and we'll, we'll offer you that expertise and experience you see there between the two stars uh, for which our business is noted. Thank you very much for listening. I'm always keen now to listen to the questions, so bring them on. Thank you, Ian, and thank you to the audience. Deeply appreciative that you've attended this webinar. David, thank you. Thank you very much. That was a tour de raison of the uh, topic. and I, I've enjoyed it enormously. And as you might have expected, some of the questions are related to the economics side of this, and some of them are connected more to the uh, legislation or political side of it. I thought maybe best to, um, uh, to, to start with a question um, uh, that's related to the, the economics. We've got a, at least two, two of those. Um, and it's from Susan in America, who asks, um, would you describe gig working um, in economist language as a perfectly competitive market? Uh, I think she's been reading my articles. Yes, um, yeah, perfectly competitive market. It is very, very close to a perfectly competitive market. Uh, when you look at that gig worker who's operating for um, multiple companies with multiple cases. Uh, they have access to their app. Remember I said that the technology, the technology essentially gives them perfect knowledge, which is one of the key features of a perfectly competitive market. Uh, you've got a multiplicity of buyers, you've got a multiplicity uh, of sellers, you've got flexible working, people can pull out or engage as they wish, both on the gig worker side and on the, the employer side. Uh, yes, Susan, it is uh, it is very, very close to a perfectly competitive market. And, and in fact, I would go as far to say it's probably the closest you're going to get short of trading on a recognized stock exchange, actually. That, that, that is also an example of a perfectly competitive market. So the answer is yes, a very, very astute question. Thank you very much. Okay, 
Thank you. We, we've, we've, we've had Susan in uh, the USA. We've now got, not, I don't think John in Spain, but we have John Spain, who has a question um, yeah. about the, 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 the on-costs of gig working. You made a comment about it uh, early in the piece, and uh, John uh, chimed in to say the employment on-costs for gig working depends upon you know, some of the legislative and commercial realities. For example, Uber in the UK, that they're finding that their costs um, are, are now going up because of the regulation and legislation um, around it. Do you have any comments on uh, um, on, on, on that? Well, th this is when we come to the two, good you asked the question, John, great to uh, great to receive that and, 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 to, um, and, and, and to speak with you again. Um, yes, um, I do have comments. It does depend upon the category of, of gig worker. So where you've got the gig worker connected with Uber in the UK or, or the Dynamix type of, that uh, Dynamix type of character, um, connected with the business in the US, then you do have the on costs. Um, through uh, Proposition 22 in the US, you've got a limitation of on costs because the benefits are not as great as they would be if the individual was an employee. In the UK, for the Uber type business, um, then you're coming very close uh, to what the on costs would be. Um, not as great, but very, very close. Um, so yes, it is an issue for the Uber type of gig worker. For the individual who is who has multiple cases with multiple companies, um, not really uh, do you have the uh, on costs, and that's where you've got the perfectly competitive market that I explained in answer to Susan's question. That's, a, that's an interesting answer. I, I, I've got a sort of couple of questions now. We've had Susan in the USA, we've had John Spain, we've got Fred from France, but My also friend. Susan in the USA, because Susan sent him more than one question. Um, and, and, and Fred was asking about whether, you know, basically, whether legislation and regulation is going to drive the economy into um, into the dirt and so you know, prevent it from really taking off. Susan asked a similar question the other, almost the other way around. How far can gig working in, in, in the USA and the UK expand? Could it ever overtake traditional forms of working? So this could be the, the, the topic of an entire webinar, couldn't it? You know, you know with the gig working. Uh, but just, just a few thoughts on those sort of contrasting ways of framing that question. Uh, yes, yes. It, it, in many ways, it is the same question uh, coming at it from, from um, uh, uh, the, the opposite side of the coin um, for each one respectively. So in answer to Freg, uh, could there be prohibition? It would be very, very short-sighted indeed if the British government sought to actually curtail the expansion in gig working because it's becoming increasingly evident that it's a, it's a very powerful um, uh, uh, entrepreneurial contribution to the growth of the economy. Uh, to curtail it would be it would be necessary to introduce distortions into the labour market whether it be through taxes or regulations or both. Um, we've got uh, and, and I'm, 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 I'm always seeking to be as objective as possibly can about different chances we've, we've got quite a, we've got a very very intelligent chancellor at the moment who has made it very very clear that he doesn't want to um, damage at all uh, the the enterprise uh, elements that, that exist within the economy he's made that clear on successive budgets over the the last couple of years and he's quite far-sighted uh, in terms of the plans which he's outlined in order to ensure that he, he applies by his own dictate. Uh, on Susan's question, um, I think she was saying, can gig working overtake traditional forms of, of, of working? Um, well, there's probably lots of things I could say in relation to that. Um, th there will continue to be, probably forever, um, a requirement for a fixed body of employees within a company. As a company expands, typically that fixed body will in, increase with it but I would expect 
over time, I'm talking about 10, 20 years uh, foresight, uh, the, um, the, the gig working will increase in all aspects of, of work. Uh, it will have different manifestations. It might be a generally perfectly, competi perfectly competitive uh, gig working type scenario, or it might be an increase in part-time working or job sharing, which we've had in, in the UK for, for 30, 35 years now. Uh, but I anticipate all those hybrid types of working overtaking uh, traditional working at an accelerated rate. There's always the, the employer control perception. Um, management like to control matters. Um, the, the view which I've always taken with, with, with my own employees is um, explain to them what's required, you know, make sure you recruit well, that's the first thing. Uh, explain to them what's required by the job, uh, give them guidance and let them go away and develop their own systems, take their own initiative, express themselves, and that brings out the best of them and they make the best contribution to the company. Um, if, if, if more management thought like that, there'd be less of a control um, factor. Um, but there'll probably always be some sort of critical mass of, of, um, of traditional working. But there is, as I've said uh, earlier, there is, in my view, a sea change in the economic landscape, not just of the UK or the US, but of, but, but of the whole globe. And we've got another webinar on that if you want it in. Uh, the role of China, the, um, the developments of Brazil and, and, and India, you know, the BRIC countries, uh, all, all sorts of factors we could talk about there. I'm, I, in fact, I, can't, I could share my own research on that if, if you wish, but a two-minute answer is not the time to be able to do it. <laughs> okay, I, I've, uh, I've got one more question from, from, from Susan in the USA, but I'm going to hold that one back for the, for, the, for the moment because a couple more questions have, have come in. Unfortunately, I don't have geographical clues for, for where these people are, uh, but Nick Bush asks, I think, a fascinating question. How should we change training and development of young people uh, to make them fit for this sort of dynamic gig economy? Well, what a, what a, what a wonderful question. And um, to develop people, you need training and development programs. Um, I, I mean, going back into the 1980s, I was, I was involved in the, the movement for so-called human asset accounting, uh, whereby a value was placed on the, on the balance sheet, uh, just as it is for capital, but in a different way for the human assets within a business. And, and the parameters which contribute to that value include training and development. Um, training and development is actually something which gig workers value enormously. So if, if a company that's embracing gig working um, chooses to uh, introduce training and development programs for those gig workers, uh, th that will be a retention factor, it really will. Um, uh, I, I, I mean, I've got some, some really expansive ideas on this, which include uh, publicity being given to training programs through television ads, uh, people getting excited about um, uh, forward thinking and energetic forms of programs um, through um, all sorts of outlets, job centres. Um, it, it's also a contribution to levelling up, which our Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson in the UK is, is committed to. Um, and it's also an opportunity for social mobility. And in the main, gig workers will embrace both leveling up and social mobility. So gig working is the way of the future, it really is. And all these associated areas, social mobility, leveling up, uh, need to be fed and training and, and development is a way in which it can be done. I've given you a few indications there, Nick. Uh, thank you for your question as well. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've given you a few indications as to how you can do it. And, and we have another question from uh, Clive Bullen, which is also sort of coming at this from the point of view of the worker, if you like, mm -hmm. um, where he says, how much could a gig worker earn? Could they ever afford, for example, to buy a house in London? Which is quite an interesting well, way of, of it, it framing depends, a question. 
it depends what your gig working is. You, you, you can be a gig worker as a, a very highly paid consultant. Um, you could be a gig worker as a very highly paid um, architect. Um, gig, gig working, I mean, you know, let, let me put it this way. Uh, there, are, there are people who take an enormous amount of pleasure doing gig working, uh, working on what might appear to be very, very simple tasks like driving from A to B. I know that driving from A to B is not as simple as it sounds. But people derive an enormous amount of pleasure from running their own business, even, even though it might appear that the product or service that they deliver is, is simple. It's not simple, I can tell you that, having spoken to, to gig workers. I'm talking to a, a cleaner gig worker just the other week who was explaining to me about the different types of, of disinfectants and how she had to um, uh, manage those in terms of the materials within a, a particular house or establishment, uh, how she had a couple of people working for her that she that she had to manage. I've talked to gig workers in restaurants and they tell me how they have to understand the menu. And in particular these days where you've got you know, people with different types of diets. So you know, jobs that are gig workers might appear simple to, to some high-fluted executive in a company, but they're not so simple when you get into it, but they do find enormous pleasure and satisfaction in running their own business in their own right. They are captains of their own ship. That's the, that's the, that, that's the category which I call multiple cases with multiple companies. That's an interesting answer to the question, and also picking up on, on, on one part of your answer, which was, you know, it depends on what they're doing, it could be quite high-end work. Um, uh, Hugh Purser uh, chips in and says, uh, gig workers are generally on weak ground regarding intellectual property rights. Do you have any comments on, um, on, on that aspect? Well, that's an interesting one. It depends on the nature of their work. Um, if they... Uh, Yes, I mean, if, if, if there are people uh, for whom intellectual property rights are important, say, say a consultant or, or a, um, a specialist solicitor, uh, something of that nature, uh, or a designer, then, you know, they need to set up their own arrangements to protect their intellectual property. That can be cost prohibitive. That can be cost prohibitive, but not always. And uh, they need to take very, very specialist advice on that area because there might be ways through which they've not thought about uh, which are much, much less cost prohibitive than maybe they'd first thought. And one final question, it's, it's, it's Susan's third question, and it absolutely fascinates me as an, as, as an economist, because I could argue this one both ways. But I think I can argue this, I could argue this one three ways. She asked, does the increased velocity of circulation of money arising from the fast turnaround of gig worker jobs pose a threat to even further inflation? Okay, well, inflation is um, is increasingly a problem in in the UK and more so in the US. The quantitative easing has has not fallen onto uh, banks' balance sheets as it did after the financial crisis. It's gone into circulation, so inflation is a real problem. Do we want even more inflation? No, we don't. Um, my own research indicates that that gig working in itself is not inflationary. It's a very very good question, very perceptive question. That gig working in itself is is not inflationary. Why? Because because it's matched matched with productivity. So if you controlled every other factor in the economy to, to produce zero inflation, you wouldn't or, or or you know what you want, which is sort of one to two and a half percent to keep the, the economy buoyant, um, you, you wouldn't find inflation arising from gig working. Um, that's because the, the price which is paid is matched with the productivity. And in answer to a, one of her previous questions, um, uh, yes, it's a perfectly competitive market. And typically in a perfectly competitive market, you don't get inflation, provided as, as you know, we used to say, ceteris paribus, to use the Latin, all things equal. Um, Everything else is all things equal, is, is, is what I'm saying. Um, 
turnaround of she's predicated her question on turnaround of of uh, completed jobs com completed gig worker jobs it depends on on the uh, on how early those gig workers are paid as i've said there is some evidence that gig workers are paid before other creditors um so yes it, it can increase the velocity of circulation of money which is a key parameter in I don't want to get too technical, but for those of you who do have an economics background, it's, it's, it's one of the, the four key parameters within the quantity theory of money, Chicago School of Economics, led by Milton Friedman. Um, uh, but in the main, um, the, the, the matching of price with productivity does make, in my view, it's not a view shared by all economists, but it's my view, it does make uh, gig working inflation neutral. But always recognise that, that there can be other factors which are which are creating inflation in the economy, and the and the, the control experiment, which is not always easy to perform, is to single out which factors are producing the inflation. Yeah, I mean this this one, I would find it very difficult, you know, because uh, I'm also an economist and I'm very much into measurement. I'd find it very difficult to measure this one, um, uh, uh, you know, how you would who, how would you run your tests to measure it? And in, well, I would question whether gig workers are fast turnaround to a greater extent than um, traditional workers in the sectors in which gig working has really taken off. So, you know, I, I in, in restaurants, for example, um, I remember producing many, many years ago when I used to run payroll, pay packets to be given cash to the restaurant workers every Thursday, because that's how you paid restaurant workers because they needed the cash that week. That was very fast turnaround stuff, but they were, employees in the in, 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 in the in, in the old model so the fact that the gig workers correlate with fast turnaround does not mean that moving towards gig working increases the speed of the turnaround I, you know I'm, I'm i'm i need to be convinced about that yeah yeah um, and I, I think i think it is open to debate and, and i've been quite careful on on how uh, phrase my answer indications i've said we, we do need more robust evidence no doubt it will come because we do have robust evidence on other aspects of gig working, which I've shared with you through the um, through, through the statistics. But but infl inflation is an gosh, I mean, that's all, topic. It's an it's an incredibly complex subject. I mean, does for another day because we really we really blown our time, um, yeah. and 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 I and I must thank lots of people uh, thank before you very we much. go. Um, David, it's been it's been fascinating as usual. You've generated so many questions. Um, you know, really, really good questions and such a good debate. One of the reasons that I really enjoy hosting uh, David's webinars is that we always get a plethora of fascinating uh, questions and a really, really good debate at the end. I hope that the audience has enjoyed that as much as I have. And uh, uh, I'm very grateful to the audience um, for your attention and, and, and for these wonderful questions. You're one of the groups that I, need to, that I need to thank. The second group that I want to thank yet again is our sponsors, without uh, whom uh, none of this um, uh, would have been possible. Again, our Financial Services Club sponsors and our ESOP Centre uh, sponsors. Um, uh, and, and of course, thank you for listening. Um, there is more uh, listening and watching that you can do. On the screen is the list of, uh, of our upcoming events in the next week or so. Um, I don't need to read everything that's on the slide uh, to tweak your interest. These are all up on our website. Um, if you're thinking, gosh, they do such interesting things, I must have missed some. Go up onto the website, all of the past events are up there. Um, there are YouTubes um, of all of our past events, and now there are podcasts available of uh, all of our past events. 
as well. You just need to go to your favorite podcast um, uh, app um, uh, and say uh, the, the FS Club, um, and you will find um, all of them up there. And I have to say, I've been doing a little bit of catch up myself on uh, on some interesting ones that I've I've missed. I, you can you can see them on the YouTube if you want to. I find it uh, with, with a lot of them a little bit easier just to, uh, to, to 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 listen to them while I'm while I'm making myself a pot of tea and that sort of thing. Well, I don't want to go there. Um, and then of course the 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 final thank you um, uh, must be to uh, uh, to David. We can't give you that that huge round of applause um, that you deserve. If we tried to do that, it wouldn't work. Uh, uh, but as it's the gig economy, I made this joke last time we talked about this. Um, I, I, I know you wouldn't really use my mock Tudor four-string guitar uh, for a music gig, but uh, we'll have the, 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 the David Craddock power chords. David Craddock, David Craddock, DC. To say thank you. Um, and once again to the audience, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us. And we'll see you all again very soon. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.